0: Hello, and welcome to this episode on What is the Origin of Organizational Politics by Laurie ship Well, who's Laurie? Well, Laurie has more than 20 years of experience in creating experimental learning workshops for hundreds of leaders around the world. Her programs are based on neuroscience, and she is passionate about making learning stick. Oh, my God, that is not an easy one. <laughs> She loves to bring science, people development into organizations and societies. And that is exactly why I chose to bring her on this episode. And before we get on to the episode, I'd love for you to download our latest ebook on why one simple tip to make change happen So if you still haven't done it, head over to www.meetmypotential.com slash ebook to get your one tip on how to make change happen. I really want to understand like the neuroscience, the science behind how our human brains work, because I've done many coaching programs, like many self-development programs, and we learn a lot of stuff. And I guess I can do this for another 600 years. And understanding how a brain functions, wow, that is really important. So I'm really glad you accepted the invitation and thanks for being here with us.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. I love how the brain works and how it explains so much of what we do in coaching and psychology and You know, the brain is super complex and what I'm going to talk about today, of course, we have a short time, so it's going to sound really simplistic. But When you understand that simplistic bit that we'll get into, I think it explains so much of human behavior and also gives us a chance to do something about it.
0: Today, we're going to talk about the origin of organizational politics like what is the origin? And so before we deep dive into this topic, well, the question is like, what is politics? And we often have a bias of politics, is something negative, politics is something pejorative. So I want to give people a little definition or my point of view of what is politics. Well, politics is an influential tactics that you can use to either improve your or the organizational interests. So you can use influential tactics. So the tactics are pretty much the same, but it's Really, the intention that matters, like, are you doing something for your own personal benefit or are you doing something for the sake of the organization? And that is what differentiates good politics from bad politics. So how do humans work and why do we step into political games?
1: Well, I want to talk about how the brain's design drives us and drives us into that politics and bad politics, perhaps, as as you describe, and the the self-oriented way of thinking. Our brain is very self-oriented and it's all for the sake of survival. There's so much power and energy that goes to the survival brain, unfortunately, because it, it gets in our way. So i want to talk about two different parts of the brain. There's the emotional brain. That's the one that drives us a lot or the limbic system, as I'll refer to it, some emotional brain limbic system. It's really strong, really fast. It's, it's an ancient part of our brain, very well designed in an evolutionary sense and it functions very well. And then there's the more reasoning part of the brain, that's the prefrontal cortex. And it is not as ancient, and it's more recently evolved, and it's definitely not as strong. And unfortunately, that's the part that needs to manage the emotional brain. So we think that we use this rational part of our brain a lot. We think we're logical and reasoned, most of the time, at least, we think that, but we're really not. We are so driven by this emotional brain because it's so fast and automatic. And it's doing so much stuff subconsciously, unconsciously, and we don't even know that it's happening and it's driving us in a way. We think we chose something or made a decision because it was logical, but actually this emotional brain was doing all kinds of stuff under the surface. It's about survival, this limbic system, this emotional brain, but survival in a social sense. And what I mean by that is, let's just give the example of belonging. When our brain was evolving, humans had to belong to a tribe, otherwise they'd be up. They're on their own being eaten, you know? So genetics chose this aspect of humanity and it helped us survive. And it still lives with with us today, even though it's ancient. It's like old hardware designed for another time, another system or another place, another organization, another society, but it's still the thing that's driving us today. So belonging is one of the things that it's looking for. Fairness is another, status is another. So it's got all these things that it's looking for. And the way it drives us is that if it feels like it's not, we are getting the belonging we need or the status we need or fairness and so on. It gives us a little shot of a feel good chemical called dopamine Mm -hmm. and go, wow, that feels good. Unconsciously, (laughs) that feels good. (laughs) Let's do it some more. So it's a reward. (laughs) Reinforcement.
0: Oh, wow. Well, that takes me to the social media likes and people getting addicted to getting on Instagram or getting on LinkedIn. It's exactly that. I have a whole sense of belonging that if I made a post and people liked it and wow, that increases my status and it gives me a push of dopamine.
1: Absolutely. That's it. Exactly. And if you belong to the right group in a company, you know, you're proud of the the cool team or you're part of this organization, you know, sub organization or that, you know, we, we get that same dopamine. But your example is, is so great because we're all addicted to that stuff. Yeah, and, we, and dopamine is highly addictive.
0: Right. So can you give an example of how our limbic brain, our survival brain, comes into play when there's organizational politics?
1: Sure. Well, I have an example. Let's imagine that there's a team, let's say five people. Five people on the team and one of those People has been promoted to be the team leader. Let's call that person Hannah. And then another person on the team is Sean. And Sean is thinking that he should have gotten that job, and he starts to get a little bit resentful. He's not getting the dopamine hit that he wanted. You know, he thought he should have the status. You know, but he's sitting there and he feels it's unfair. And the reaction that we have to unfairness. So there's the the dopamine side of things, but there's also this threat reaction. So when we don't get belonging and fairness and all that, the brain gives us an alarm type signal, a runaway threat response, fight, flight, freeze kind of response. So if Sean is in his team and he thinks that it's unfair, he's getting this response that says, this is bad, unconsciously, you know? And so what does he do? Maybe he starts gossiping and talking about how Hannah is a horrible team leader, or maybe he goes around her to her boss to get things done, or maybe he gets things done in, in different ways, but he's disempowering, her and he's disempowering the team and he's playing political games. And it's all because his brain is looking for some dopamine or it's in some kind of threat mode.
0: Yeah, that's a very concrete example. What I've also seen in um, some exa- I interviewed a couple of months back, I interviewed a couple of managers and organizations about politics. And one of the things I constantly heard was people were allowing other people to fail Like someone would know that my colleague would lose five million in this pilot program and I'm not gonna say a word about it. And I'm gonna allow him to fail so that when he fails, then I can then go back with a great solution and shine.
1: Yeah. So you know, this social brain is always comparing me to you, to everyone else. And if I'm gonna do well, sometimes that means others have to do poorly. So if that person is going to fail, that means it's my status is going to be raised, so that's one thing. I'll get dopamine if my status and stature is raised because that person is out of the game. It's sad, isn't it? But it's it's going on in all, all the time. That's a pretty significant one with so much money involved. Another thing that could be involved is a bit of revenge. We hold grudges. This part of the brain holds grudges so easily. Maybe that guy did a, created some slight or something in the past, and this was his get back. People are often wanting to get back at each other and. In small and big ways, and that creates dopamine too. and And we have these other parts of the brain that find this right; they make it right. The brain wants us to be right, so go, yeah, this behavior is completely right; it's completely just, and we justify it to ourselves and really believe that it's true and good and right, and it feels good. The get back thing, the revenge, feels good, and so we keep doing it.
0: So it really boils down to three simple things: the sense of belonging a sense of fairness and status. These are the three main drivers of our limbic system.
1: There's a few others. Certainty is also another one. People really want to have certainty and autonomy is also another one and also our sense of expectations. So when we, you know, we dream up something exciting, you know, we we get that sense of dopamine and when we're disappointed, we we end up in a threat response. So I work with six, but the three I named first that you named, yeah, they're big ones that, get into play with politics.
0: Okay, watch out for these six of them, which is belonging, fairness, status, certainty, autonomy, and expectations. Expectations that we have around hopes and dreams of how we aspire things to be.
1: Yeah, you know, you start a new job and you think it's going to be fantastic. It's an amazing company you get hired into and then something goes wrong and you're disappointed. And then that ends in that revenge cycle again. Oh well, it's not the thing I thought it was going to be. Somebody's at fault, and now I'm going to go get them. It's just so quickly we devolve into this childish games. They really do seem like childish games, and there's yeah. reasons for that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> and this stuff is also contagious. So, as one part of a team or one part of an organization starts behaving in this childish way, it spreads. People respond that way in response to. It's like it. You know, we just pick it up from each other.
0: Exactly. And we form allies based on that.
1: Absolutely. Allies, sure. Let's say I'm on the outs with some team and I feel rejected. I'm going to go find an ally because I get a sense of belonging. Right. So we're, we're in it together. And if we revenge together, I actually think it's one of the strongest human emotions there are is we're in it together against them because it feels really good. If we're going to get revenge, you know, so we get our allies and maybe it's another team that's an ally against that department, you know, and now we've got silos.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now, yeah, now we've got silos and we've got close friends because we have a common ally. I mean, like we have allies because we have a common enemy.
1: Mm-hmm. We have a common enemy and a common interest. And yeah, it's powerful.
0: <laughs> exactly. And that's kind of false intimacy that we build in organizations at times.
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: What is one tip that you would give to have more peace and to have more convergence, to kind of come from our prefrontal cortex and not come from this survival mode.
1: So, what you just said, understanding that first and foremost is the really important thing. Your prefrontal mm-hmm. cortex is the part of your mind, brain that reasons, that can overcome grudges and prejudices and all of those kind of things. It's not as powerful, it's not as fast, and it takes time. You know, a little step back and tapping into the PFC so you can see the bigger picture, you can relate to other people's perspectives, that kind of understanding that is super useful. That's the first step. What I'd love to do is have a little experiment with that, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no of course. Experience. Yeah. So this is for you and your audience. So I invite everybody to think of something that's a little bit irritating. Maybe maybe Deepa, you've had an email recently where there's, it was written in all capitals, you know, how that can get under a skin or somebody's demanding something from you or there's somebody or something going on. You don't have to tell me what it is, just have that in mind. And notice your your response to it. Mm -hmm. Let the feelings come, you know. These aren't adult kind of feelings, you know. (laughs) There's usually some kind of revenge or something. And just from this place, this feeling that you have, think to yourself, how is it that you want to respond? It doesn't have to be proper. You're not going to tell anybody about it. But just notice the impulse that this set of feelings gives you. hmm Got yeah? it. Good. So now we're going to set that, whatever it was that was disturbing to you. We're going to imagine that you could set it on a shelf in your mind. We'll come back to it in a little bit. We're going to set it on a shelf. And what you notice in your body, though, is these chemicals running around, adrenaline and cortisol. That's the threat response. That's the limbic system saying, this is a bad thing. Get out, you know, fight, flight, freeze. So you'll feel that in your body. And what we're going to do in the next minute-ish is see if we can let go of those. So it's a little mindfulness experience. So take a big, deep breath and a big, deep exhale, which allows the body, you can just feel it, your body can just sort of settle and relax a little bit. Another deep breath. And then exhale out. Now we're going to focus on two areas where we tend to hold stress. One is in the shoulders. So in this big deep breath in, we're going to shrug our shoulders, like bring shoulders up to our ears. And really scrunch them up. And then exhale and throw your arms down. (sighs) Good. Can you feel a little sort of a release of Of course, chemicals. Yeah. Of course, a little
0: bit more relaxed. And what I also noticed is, yeah, the first thing, my first way to respond was not talk to someone, like not respond to someone's email. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, and the and the response that I have now is, I have a much more wider heart, much more open heart, Mm -hmm. much more Mm -hmm. curiosity. Yeah.
1: So all we have to do is a little step back, a breath. You know, if we can take a deep breath and let that go, we we have so many more options open to us. So it's a three-step thing, A, B, C. Have awareness, you know, oh, I'm I'm stressed, I'm feeling the stress, which means you'll respond in that first way, that fight, flight, freeze way. And then take a breath, like a mental step back, breathe, let it go. And then the third is choose. Know that you have choices. You don't have to respond in that knee-jerk, fast way. Brilliant.
0: Well, you know what I also realize is I'm sitting here in my office space and there's nobody here looking at me, closing my eyes, taking a deep breath, shrugging my shoulders and just dropping it. (laughs) I wonder if I was walking into an office with, you know, and I was doing this and I would just be so conscious. So how can people apply this at
1: work? I get that question a lot, yeah. So I'm not suggesting that you do this whole shoulder thing and everything in your office. But the more you practice that, the more you practice that at home, get mindfulness techniques of any sort, getting, letting your body relax, the easier it is and faster it is for you to be able to get into that space when you are in one of those stressful meetings. So if you're faced with something and somebody maybe uh, surprises you with the question and you notice that you're tense, just see if you can take a, an extra breath you know, just an extra breath before you respond. Give yourself a chance to tap into your prefrontal cortex, which has more reasoning and more emotional intelligence, and it's a little slower, and you'll give a better response.
0: Yeah, yeah. thank you. Thank you for that. Like, I know emotional intelligence is such a big word. I've been in this field of people development, and still, I mean, like, it's like those words, like, we need to communicate better. We need to have more leadership. And so in simple terms, like, what are those qualities the prefrontal cortex brings to us?
1: Well, it allows us to stop reacting so quickly. And those quick reactions are usually like, again, the, the brain is trying to get a dopamine win. So let's say a big complex problem is is presented and all of a sudden you know, we see, oh, I know the solution. Those quick solutions are really partial. Most likely it's only a little piece of the puzzle that you're looking at. So the PFC gives us the chance to take a breath take in that complexity. It's difficult. So it does sound like difficult things. I think our emotional brain just doesn't set us up well for leadership because leadership can be difficult. And the PFC really contributes to a lot of the leadership qualities, seeing the big picture, being able to have compassion for people and empathy and and not judge them and set aside our judgments rather than not judge them. Set aside our judgments. And so I said bigger picture. It's also our compassion and empathy. This part of the brain is also the part that does our our best reasoning and goal setting and um, staying on track and holding discipline, lots of self-discipline and being able to stay with something even if it's difficult and stay in a conversation even if somebody's giving us feedback and we're not liking it. PFC really contributes to a lot of those great qualities of being a great team worker. It allows us to collaborate entertain other people's perspectives even if they're different than our own.
0: Yeah, that takes me to one simple word that describes all of this that you just re- just mentioned is curiosity. Yes. As when you said stay in a difficult conversation, be open to different perspectives, collaborate better, it's
1: all about curiosity. It is. And the PFC allows us prefrontal cortex allows us the space to be curious. The limbic system is not. It's making snap decisions and assumptions. And, you know, that serves us a lot of times. But a lot of times it doesn't. Mm. So quick judgments and doesn't allow for curiosity. And the PFC does.
0: I think uh, that's so much needed today because their world is becoming complex. Organizations are becoming complex, especially when I see organizations moving from a very centralized leadership system to a decentralized leadership system, teams of teams, distributed leadership. There is no simple answer, and I know I understand from our conversation, the limbic system goes and tries to have one solution to all the complex challenges that we face today, and the prefrontal cortex allows us to stay with that curiosity,
1: to stay with those difficult conversations, to stay with complexity at large, and and have robust discussions with other people. You know, people come together from different viewpoints, and if they're tapping into this part of the brain, they can have really productive collective kinds of conversations and dialogue and, and debate, and, which just isn't happening these days. People are so stuck in their own, this is the way it is. and um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. I like when you say, this is the way it is. I know I'm right.
1: <laughs> I know I'm right. Exactly. It's my way or the highway. I know I'm right. and We've got to do it like this. Oh, but there's no one person can really hold the whole complexity of everything. And if one person is saying, this is the way it is, probably not so. Exactly.
0: So the minute you know that things are complex or the minute you think that things are uh, very simple and you have the answer, that's an indication that your limbic system is in charge of you. Yeah. Really. It's a good signal. It's like, I know. Okay. Hello.
1: Maybe I should think that through. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: yeah. Great. Thank you so much for being here on this episode. And would you like to share one message with the audience before we bring this to a close?
1: Sure, I would. Everyone, please think this through about how do, you, how do you get out of this simplistic thinking and knee-jerk reactions and support your prefrontal cortex. Do some kind of mindfulness or take a breath before going into difficult decision-making times. And when you do that, you'll notice you make better decisions. The other thing that'll happen for you is that you'll start to have empathy for other people because we're all being run by our limbic systems. As so you have empathy for other people and realize that And I do mean empathy and not judgment. Oh, you're run by your limbic system. Run by their limbic system. That's that's the way the world is going. Start with yourself. Because as we change ourselves and we impact other people and they change themselves, this is how we change our society and get back to a more collective society that can work well together.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here with us. And for those of you who want to get in touch with Laurie and pick her brain even more on the neuroscience and ask her ideas and solutions of how to solve some complex problems in your organizations, head over to shipsevenson.com. That is S-H-O-O-K-S-V-E-N-S-E-N.com. You'll find the website link on our show notes. Thank you very much once again for being here.
1: Thanks. Thanks for the great conversation, Deepa. I appreciate it a lot.